0: means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly, but then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials to participate simply fill up an orange hefty renew bag with accepted items tie it up and drop it in with your regular recycling that's it it's that easy it's time to rethink recycling with renew particular valued resources may vary by geography more info available at heftyrenew.com
1: This is Rashawn Evans and you're listening to the No Nonsense Podcast Welcome in to the No Nonsense Podcast. This is one of your hosts, Matthias Wadner, here with Will Lomis, our normal main host. Luke Wersham is out sick. Uh, we wish him a speedy recovery, and we're going to try our best to not let this podcast go completely off the rails. Uh, no promises, but we will try to keep it, try to keep it on track as much as we can. Uh, make sure to follow us on Twitter and Facebook at No Nonsense Pod. And make sure to just subscribe to us on your preferred podcast listening interfaces, be it iTunes, Spotify, whatever you use. Uh, make sure to do that. So during the weekend, uh, the Titans came out with a huge victory against the Colts, uh, something that we kind of expected just because the Colts have been dealing with a lot of injuries, uh, and, and both teams are kind of evenly matched, but but it seemed like the Titans had, had a little bit more, more momentum going into the game. Uh, but we were still kind of, you know— skeptical of, of of us actually pulling it out just because so many times in the past the Colts have, have, have beaten us straight up and even though it seems like we should win the game maybe like week two this year Jacoby Brissett's uh, second game of the year um, gets uh, thrown into the starting lineup and we still can't beat them uh, it felt like maybe this would be one of those games but the Titans ended up pulling it out in the end uh, I I think it was a good win overall. Um, uh, what do you think, Will?
0: Yeah, it was kind of like it, it, to start off the game. It felt like worst case scenario. Henry had like a twenty yard run that he immediately fumbled and it went right to a Colts mm. defender, um, which felt like so many other Colts games we've seen before. Right. But you know, just the end result to win. We were looking this up for the podcast in the last decade. Uh, the Titans have only beaten the Colts four times. And when you play a team twice a year, like that is, uh, that's just, it should never happen. It's so embarrassing. And it's never mattered whether the Titans were the more talented team or whether they were the more well-coached team or whether they had more momentum. It seemed like no matter what was going on, the Colts were always going to beat the Titans. And it finally wasn't true. And, you know, there's been, you know, people talk about, well, they were injured. It's like, you know, the Titans were also down to their fourth and fifth corner at some point in that game. So you know, it's, it's not like everybody was healthy on either side. But what, what matters is the Titans won finally against the Colts. So, yeah, like it, I, I have very little to complain about.
1: Yeah, I don't think injuries could really be pointed to as like, uh, oh, but well, you should have beat them because they're injured. Everyone's injured in the NFL, especially at this point in the season. Everyone's dealing with injuries. I mean, we're down our starting tight end. Uh, We're on our backup quarterback. I I mean, this is just kind of life in the NFL. Uh, But yeah, no, it it really was good (laughs) to, to come out with a victory against the Colts. And, you know, for a lot of this game, it felt like that same scenario where, we just, you know, we're going to lose to the Colts again. They, they go up 17-7, to uh, I think, early in the third quarter. Uh, and that's when you kind of start feeling uh, just, just like, you know, it, it's happening again. This is why can't we ever beat the Colts? Uh, but we finally got a couple of breaks. Uh, the team started playing better. But then at the end of the game, we get that that blocked field goal for a touchdown. Uh, that that's one of those breaks that you just need to have in these types of games, especially in division games that are always so so tight, so tightly contested, so um so hard fought. Uh, it only takes one bounce of the ball for you to actually win the game and, and come out with, with a crucial victory. Uh, thankfully, it happened in this game, and it seems like it hasn't happened uh, in, in past games against the Colts or, or even in other division games that we've had uh, over the last decade or so. Yeah, yeah.
0: I think somebody compared it to the Jacksonville game from earlier this year where you immediately lose a possession with the Derrick Henry fumble like the adori Jackson fumble and then it turns into seven points and you're just automatically behind when you really should like you really have no reason to be behind that much early and that, that's a good description because the pass rush for the Colts was getting home a lot. Uh for whatever reason the Titans just refused to pick up stunts sometimes and there's different people to blame every game. This time it was Ben Jones, which is weird because he's been great all year. But, uh, you know, it felt a lot like that. And looking back on it and saying, like, okay, what did the Titans do wrong? Well, really, like, they just shot themselves in the foot or else they would have been up or at the very least not down uh, significantly at halftime. I I don't know. I, Mike Vrabel talked some about it. and He said that there was, uh, you know, I don't know. He didn't use the word grit, but it was something like he was like, we found out like who's not going to be the guys that go with the flow and blah, blah, basically saying like the guys we played this played on the field this time were tougher than the guys we played before when we were in Jacksonville. So that's why we won this time, even though everything went wrong. I, I, I don't know if that's true. I don't know whether the ball just kind of bounced their way more or whatever, but it, if you're going to frame it like that and you win 31 to you know 17, you can go, you can frame it like that. But I just wish they would cut those things out in the beginning of the game. And instead of saying, well, we had resilient guys, they would say, you know, we made mistakes and we can fix those going forward so that we don't have to hear this again in week 17 against the Texans.
1: Yeah, uh, I actually had to work on Sunday, so I kind of had like one eye on my work and one eye on on the game. Uh, But it seemed like every time I would I would take a peek at the game, Ryan Tannehill was getting sacked (laughs) and the numbers kind of back it up. I mean, he took six sacks in this game uh, and it seemed like the Colts were just getting pressure uh, just so, uh, so consistently. And it's been a common theme all season. Uh, The offensive line has gotten better, especially with, with Tannehill. Uh, in there but but he's still taking way too many sacks for my liking uh i, I find it interesting that that someone made that parallel to the jaguars game uh, i think the main difference between that game and this game is is, is the quarterback position and, and at least the way that uh the quarterback has kind of stabilized the offense in, in that jaguars game you went we went down and it just felt like we couldn't get back into the game because the offense just was completely inept uh, with Tannehill at the helm, that's been the complete opposite. Uh, he's been able to bring us back in the games, whether it be in the first half or second half. Uh, and it seems like we're never really out of the game uh, with him w- with him at quarterback. Uh, in this game, he does take six sacks. But, uh, I mean, t- on 22 attempts to complete 17-year passes for 182 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions, uh, that is just... That, that's what you need. That's what you need to win games, uh, especially when you have a a average to above-average defense and when you have a running back like Derrick Henry back there who can kind of just solve your problems.
0: Yeah, it's, it's weird that the Titans have kind of shifted into this 30-point-per-game kind of team where the defense is more opportunistic and less suffocating than it was last year, which you know, is good if you can put up points, but it was something that would never have won them games last year and with Mariota in, but yeah, Tannehill just feels like a guy right now who, if you need him to pass 35, 40 times a game, fine, he'll get you four touchdowns. If you need him to pass 20 times a game, fine, he'll get you two touchdowns. Like it feels like he's going to put up, you know, if you give him chances, he's going to put up points. And that's something that really Titans fans haven't felt in a while. So I, I don't know whether it's, just him finally feeling like okay this is my chance I know I've got everything on the line or whether he was just screwed over by Adam Gase's terrible like play calling when he was in Miami but whatever it is I mean and and I know we'll talk about this a lot in the offseason but it's getting really hard to make a case on why the Titans shouldn't give him a not only a deal but like a multi-year deal with like real money I mean he he's clutch when he needs to be with that touchdown of Khalif Raymond he takes sacks but very rarely are they on him and if they are it's because he's waiting just a half second too long because somebody's about to come open deep like I think he took one on Sunday versus the Colts where Humphreys was going to break open over the middle in like maybe an extra half second and instead of you know picking the ball up and risking another fumble he didn't but you know it he, just, he looks like a franchise quarterback, and you and I talked about this a little before the podcast, but a lot of the older faces in the NFL are kind of going away. I mean, Roethlisberger, Rivers, Brady, all those guys, Eli Manning, they're slowly trending like this may be their last year, or maybe they have another year or two left in them. But, I mean, really in a league that's kind of missing talent in that kind of 30- to 35 year old range at quarterback he seems like one of the guys who is actually poised to be a franchise quarterback now we've only seen him in six games but when you're five and one in six games that that's a pretty good record to have
1: yeah i i think we're getting to the point where it's not it's not a sm- small sample size anymore i mean we we almost have a half season of evidence to kind of base our our thoughts and, and our takes on and listen i I am. I was the most reluctant to get on the Tannehill bandwagon of anyone. I loved Mariota. I have seen Tannehill uh, in Miami because I live in Miami. I've seen him play on the Dolphins for, what was it, almost seven seasons, I think. I saw what he was. I saw some flashes, but he never, never reached anything close to his ceiling. Uh, but this is the best he's ever played, and he's playing like a legitimate top-ten quarterback in, in the NFL. Uh, so... I'm at the point where, yeah, I mean, I at, at the very least, he, he's going to get the franchise tag. There, there's no doubt about that. But when you start thinking about how old he is, he, he's 31 right now, uh, which for a quarterback isn't bad. It, it's not like he's in that that uh, that group of quarterbacks that he, that you just mentioned. Uh, those guys are older. Those guys are in their late 30s. Uh, some of them are in their 40s. Uh, he's not that old. He's still athletic. He's shown it. Uh, Time after time this season uh, uh, on a bunch of good, really good runs. Um, So he was definitely a guy that you could commit to for maybe two to three seasons. Uh, And probably not more than that, just because once quarterbacks start to get into that 34, 35 area, it just seems like their play really drops off a cliff. Uh, and especially considering we, we don't have a great track record with sustaining offensive success uh, yeah. f- for, for for a while. Uh, I, I don't know if you want to commit too many years to Tannehill, but nowadays everything is, is pretty much like a four-year contract, and then it's essentially technically a two-year contract or like a one-year contract, and you can get out of it uh, in a couple of seasons. So we'll see what the Titans do there. Uh, the good news is they didn't sign nick Foles, so i think that's something yeah that's that's always
0: when you can look around the division and you see a guy getting benched for a fifth round rookie and neither one of them are particularly good but one you just paid 50 million dollars and he's terrible then yeah like you feel like no matter what you did you're good but yeah it's it's weird because this almost feels like the perfect scenario. If the Titans want to be really bold this off season and keep Tannehill and then trade up for a guy like Tua. if you've got, if you basically stole a franchise quarterback in the fourth round, which is what this trade that John Robinson made is looking like, you know, you, that's the perfect time to take a risk, like take a risk, trade up for a Tua or somebody like that. And, you know, go ahead and add him to this roster and have, you have no pressure on him. Like I don't, I don't, think that's an outlandish thing to say and one thing that really makes me optimistic that Tannehill is I guess the guy rather than a guy is how often he'll just go to the line of scrimmage and completely change a play he'll motion into different formations he'll call out audible I mean he'll change anything he needs to and then he'll run it and it usually works Or he'll call hurry up if he sees something and then he'll get the guys lined up and then he'll either snap it quickly because he knows that they're in the right formation for something or he'll change it again like we talked about. But it's not like Arthur Smith is suddenly some play calling genius. It's that there's a guy out there who knows, okay, I saw this cover two look they they put this guy on this guy. If I hurry up to the line of scrimmage and they don't check I know this is the defense I have or at least some variation of it. And it's working. So if you can only, if you can get a guy who can just say, okay, they're running cover two That means I need to run Derrick Henry. And like, he doesn't wait for Arthur Smith to mess up the play call, but he just goes ahead and hurries up to the line of scrimmage and does it. I mean, you, you keep that guy because at the very least, he keeps you from making bad mistakes and from doing the, you know, it, it keeps you from making the decisions that we've seen so many Titans offensive coordinators make in the past, which is trying to outsmart themselves and not doing the easy thing. So I, I don't know. It's, it, it's getting harder and harder. Like you said, it's not a small sample size anymore. And if he finishes the season out, that'll be 10 games. Like he, right now, he cannot have a losing record as a starter with the Titans. That's how well he's done. So even if he, even if they lose the next four, he's still won five of five for, he's still won five of 10. So I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not all aboard the 10 Hill train or anything like that, but it's getting harder and harder to not say that he should be the guy For at least 2020 and maybe 2021.
1: Yeah, I agree. And I think another good another reason why Tannehill has been so efficient is because the running game is just outstanding right now. I mean, Derrick Henry is having easily a career year, but he's having one of the better rushing seasons that we've seen from a running back uh, over the last couple of seasons. Uh, yeah, you do wish he was better as a receiver. We've talked at at nauseum about that. Uh, our, our fans probably don't want to hear about that anymore. But he's another guy that we're going to have to commit to or not commit to uh, this offseason. Uh, do you think, given what he's shown uh, this season and the latter half of last season, uh, what what do you think? What do you think his contract is going to be? Because I'm not I'm not totally sure. What running backs are even going for it, it, at this point. I know Dion Dion's contract was like the fifth most of, of any running back uh, And that one was like four years 20 million. I think something like that. So yeah, they're probably gonna terrible. break the bank, right? Yeah, I mean so uh, If you're looking at like an average per year
0: basis 13 million dollars put you in the top four top five mm-hmm. but and that's just what it's going to cost. Like, if you're looking for a guy to carry the ball as many times as he does and kind of give him the workload that you're going to – because he's averaging, what, like 23 rushes, I think, over the last three games. I know he has over 500 yards and five touchdowns, I think. He's had two – two, yeah, so, uh, so he's had 500 yards and five touchdowns over their last three games. So he's going to get fed like he always does. And, I mean, there's a chance that we look back on this and he has – you know, what, A 1,000 yards in his last seven games, maybe more. He's already halfway there, and he's got four more games to play. So, I mean, he's going to go into the offseason with momentum like he always does, and he's – I mean – there's just no way around it. What he puts on film and his highlights, the things that they're going to show on NFL network and ESPN when talking about him, those are the things that's going to get general managers excited. Like the 50 yard runs, the 70 yard runs, the stiff arms with him tight pro- rope, rope in the sidelines. Like it's, it's impossible not to see why that's so incredibly appealing. Like you just don't see humans, whether they play receiver or running back or tight end, nobody moves like he does at his size. So, He's going to get money. So now you just have to figure out: okay, are you willing to give him four years with thirteen million dollars averaged over those three over those four years? I mean, because somebody's going to like the the Dolphins have a ton of money. He's from Florida. They're going to be in complete overhaul mode this season. Why wouldn't they pay him that much? If they have to pay a certain amount anyway, like they're already under the salary cap floor for next year. Like they're going to have to make big contracts, whether they're smart or not. So why not get a guy from Florida who's shown that kind of potential and put him on your team with, I'm assuming the young quarterback and stuff that they're going to draft. So somebody is going to pay him. It's just, are you willing to outbid them? And I, I just don't know. Like history says, I don't think John Robinson will. Well, that, that's the thing. is like History says that this is the wrong time to listen to your heart and believe in what you're seeing now because you'll end up paying for what you see right now and not for what you'll expect you're going to get going forward. And, I mean, the teams that have paid the most to here, – here are all the teams that have paid $13 million or more uh, in average uh, per year to running backs. Okay. The Arizona Cardinals with David Johnson, bad. Bad. The New York, New York Jets with Le'Veon Bell. Bad. Uh, the Rams with Todd Gurley. Who they are? Mm. I mean, they're above average, but like
1: he doesn't look like himself, though.
0: Yeah, and he's only twenty-five. Um, and then Ezekiel Elliott's with the cow. Ezekiel Elliott with the Cowboys is only twenty-four years old. But and they should have I paid mean,
1: Dak before they paid Zeke.
0: Yeah. It's so it's like okay, mm. y- everybody can say sure. Why not? You'll have money for both. Blah blah blah. It's like, yeah, you'll have money for both. And it's not the old like Chris Johnson days where like you only you have an owner that's only willing to pay a certain amount. Like you have to pay a certain amount. Like that that's just the rules. So it's not even about that. It's just about, you know, has it worked for anybody recently? And the answer is no. So I just I don't know. I I would love to see Derrick Henry with the Titans. I think the best case scenario and what they should really try to do is give Tannehill a th- two or three year deal or whatever, and then franchise tag Henry. That way, even if you have to pay him, you know, I guess it'll be ten million because it's the average of the top five, I believe is what it is. Um, so that would be somewhere around eleven million, I guess, maybe twelve million. But you give him that contract, and you're only on the hook for one year. You know, you draft a running back on day two or early day three, and you pair him up because you need another guy anyway. If there's a huge talent gap, you extend Henry for another few years or whatever. If not, you you know you just keep the other guy. But I just don't see any way where get, I don't see any way where John Robinson gives him a four year deal, and I don't see any way it makes sense for the Titans to do it. So,
1: yeah, it's really tough for me. Like like you said, my heart is saying. Yes, he's given us so many great moments, uh, and, and it seems like he's finally turned into a player that could be the centerpiece of an offense. Uh, but then I look around the league, and I see Nick Chubb leading the league in rushing. I see Delvin Cook in the top five in rushing. Uh, I see Marlon Mack uh, in, in the top 10, uh, Aaron Jones. These are guys that were drafted after the first round and who just got to a decent situation, and they're performing probably just as well as Derrick Henry or, or just about as a, some of the top running backs in the league. So that definitely gives me pause and, and I don't know what I would do if I was John Robinson. Uh, it, it seems like Derrick Henry wants to stay and, and, and he's certainly a, a fan favorite. Um, but John Robinson has pretty much been like a, a logic first common sense kind of uh, GM. So it, it's definitely something interesting um, to, to think about what, what he's going to do
0: yeah and i will say this i don't know if i'm just not seeing it or what but i would expect there to be so many more derrick henry jerseys in the stands and it does not feel like that like really i don't feel like i've yeah you know and i didn't think about it until just now but you know you see more you see quarterback jerseys and you see you know you'll occasionally see like a corey davis jersey or a Jarrell Casey jersey or something like that a a kevin byard jersey you see those a lot but like just thinking about Derrick Henry jerseys, I don't know that I've seen just a ton of those, especially for a guy who was at Alabama and then came over and, and don't get me wrong. I mean, fans obviously love him. It's just kind of weird thinking about that now that that's not as popular. And I guess so much of it is because he split touches for so long and he was never really a workhorse. And really he didn't have any huge moments until last December, Mm -hmm. but that, that is weird to think about now. But because I, I, I was thinking about it and I was going to say, you know, because of how the Titans are, just in terms of like not having big face of the franchise kind of guys, I wonder if that factors into it, like getting people to the stadium to see a guy that they saw in college, kind of the thing that people talked about with Mariota, you know, a Heisman winner, blah, 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 that kind of stuff. I wonder if that factors into it at all. But when I thought about that, like, I'm not even sure that he's a top two or three guy in like Titans jerseys sold. So that's I want to look that up later. That's
1: that's Uh, I wonder if it has something to do with maybe him being a running back and running backs kind of just come and go Um, and fans probably don't want to invest in a jersey if they're going to be gone in like two seasons, you know?
0: Yeah, like that's that's a really interesting kind of perspective. I don't know. I need to check that out. That's that's
1: why I bought a Mariota jersey because I figured he would be here. That's right. Because for a
0: decade (laughs) and that didn't work out that, that baby's never going out of style
1: although if, if derrick henry gets a contract extension i might uh i might snap up one of those jerseys because i actually don't have one of the new designs um and i don't know who else's jersey i would get maybe a.j brown I, uh, this I,
0: is a perfect time to segue into uh the harold landry hour where we talk about how harold really? landry is amazing and how he needs more attention uh he had another sack in the colts game by the way and i, I don't know like maybe maybe it's just Like my bias and how he's underrated. He's like actually underrated. Yeah, like he's had a sack. Yeah, he had a sack in his last five games. Like he's on a five-game sack streak. He did it this time against the Colts offensive line, which is one of the better offensive lines in terms of pass protection. Plus, uh, Brissett gets the ball out quick. You know, we saw it last week. Like instead of taking a sack, he'll take an incompletion all the time. So to get there, you have to get there quick, and you've got to explode. So I mean. He's he's done it against all different kinds of players versus all different kinds of tackles. But, you know I can't you know he's done it against Mahomes he's done it against Winston he's done it against so many different types of players and Brissett who can you know like we saw in week uh, two like he's sometimes can be really difficult to take down because he's so big. Now the beat up knee might hurt and that might be part of it, but at the end of the day, like he's had a sack in each of the last five games. I believe he's had an interception over that time too. Um, he's also had several tackles for loss. He's very active. There's times where he'll line up on the left side and he'll make a tackle for loss on the right side, and you can go back and watch the replay and still not figure out exactly how he made that play. It's it, He's very impressive, and... Not only should he be a Pro Bowl defender, because he should, especially when you look at the rest of the AFC and where he stacks up like that, but he's somebody who, if you're looking at young pass rushers who can, and I'm not, maybe I won't even say pass rushers, young edge defenders who can do everything, whether you ask him to drop into coverage, rush the passer, stop the run, play the tight end, whatever you're asking him to do, like he's got to be one of the top. Five? I mean, and that may be too low just considering all the other stuff he does. But, yeah, Harold Landry is great, and it shouldn't be a surprise. He was super athletic, super productive in college. You know, he's he's been able to do anything they've asked him to do on the field. So it shouldn't be a shock that the guy who can do everything can also do the thing that he was drafted to do. So I, I don't know. I'm very impressed with him. I'm glad he's having a breakout year. It's gonna be really interesting to see what happens going forward when they either draft somebody beside him or when they play, you know, guys like DeAndre Walker who's on injured reserve now or whoever, like they give him somebody opposite him to really demand extra attention. So that that's something that we need to talk about.
1: Yeah, he is tied for ninth right now in tackles for loss with fourteen. And in terms of sacks, he is tied for thirteenth. Uh, with nine he's tied with uh, everyone's favorite rookie Josh Allen from the Jaguars. So and you take a look at some of the guys he's who who are ahead of him or, or maybe on equal terms with him. it's guys like Aaron Donald, uh, Miles Garrett, Zadarius Smith, Chandler Jones, Cameron Jordan. I mean these are guys that are considered elite players and Harold Landry is legitimately holding his own with, with some of these guys. And it's kind of like gone under the radar. It, it's kind of weird. It, yeah, it's it, like it, it's like everyone just expects double digit sacks, and unless you ha- you hit that number, it's like oh, he's just you know he's having he's okay.
0: Yeah, it's like every every like every sack you get is fine until it's your tenth sack, and then right. all of a sudden you go into this whole like extra tier where it's like oh, he's a double digit sack guy. It's like you know, it's like I I get where you're coming from, but. At the same time, it's like I don't know, man. Like, why don't we give respect to the guy who's had nine sacks and who's spent half half of the season like dropping into coverage or like manning up on tight ends because they didn't really understand what they had in him? So, I don't know. Like, when you look at him versus other AFC pass rushers, for sure. Like, just specifically in that category, which is how you know we all know the Pro Bowl is voted. Like, there's not like three guys who do more. Like, a T.J. Watt, sure, but other than that, I, I mean, like, I can't think of – I mean, Miles Garrett was one that you thought for sure was going to be, you know, up there or was going to be voted in, but then he took a helmet off and, you know, tried to beat a quarterback with it, so
1: – Are we talking AFC? Yeah. All the good pass rushers are in the NFC. Yeah, that's that's the thing so is, like – It's Watt, Garrett, uh, Josh Allen, I guess is kind of on, on, on equal terms. Uh, Joey Bosa, maybe. Um, although, yeah. I mean, he's had a good year, but not as good as previous seasons. Um, But then that that that's it. That's it. Maybe like Justin Houston, but he's not even he's not dominating like he like he had in previous seasons.
0: Yeah, I mean, when you look at like sacks and tackles for loss, and I mean, and call it fluky or whatever, and the fact that Harold Landry has an interception, like right, like I said, like you know, whatever. Call it like being in the right place at the right time. Call it a fluke, whatever you want. But it's just. That He does so many different things that when you watch a game and you're like, oh, man, I hope somebody gets out in front of that screen to stop it, and a defensive back misses a tackle, and then you see 58 flash in front and stop it for a one-yard gain, it's like, that's not going to go in the books as a tackle for loss, and it's not going to go in there as a sack or anything like that, but it's a one-yard gain that he had no no. It, there was no reason why he should have made that play, but because he's so instinctive and athletic and because he like actually hustles and didn't just end to get sacks. He ends up, you know, putting you in second nine instead of second four. And then all of a sudden it's a whole different ball game. You can call it differently. It, the things he does, I can't speak highly enough about what he does. And he may not be, I guess, a Von Miller or Khalil Mack, like level, like disruptor, but, I would also say that I would rather him drop into coverage than either of those two guys. And that's not a fun thing to say. It's not a flashy thing to say. But it's something where he is never in a position where he should be taken off the field. And there's something to be said about that.
1: Yeah, I I think the best part of the show, at least to me, is all these guys that we've named, uh, Chandler Jones, Cameron Jordan, T.J. Watt, the Bosa brothers, all those guys were drafted – In the first round, Harold Landry, for whatever reason, was drafted in the second round, and John Robinson sprinted up to the podium to get him. I have no idea why or how Harold Landry fell to the second round. We all loved him. We thought he was probably the best pure pass rusher in that draft, uh, and that was in a draft with Bradley Chubb, who had 12 sacks his rookie season. And for whatever reason, he fell to the second round, and it's going to turn out to be probably one of the best picks of the last decade.
0: Yeah, I mean, when like we talked about, like you just said it, Like you look at so many of those guys, and it's like Josh Allen, top five pick, Nick and Joey Bosa, top five pick. It People get these ideas in their heads where if you're a top five pick and you get nine sacks in your second year— You're starting to really come on and be the elite pass rusher you're supposed to be. If you're a second round pick and you get nine sacks, people just call you an average pass rusher. Like it's because there's that weird like mindset where whatever you think of a player coming out, like if they produce, you just skew your ideas towards that, like to fit whatever you were already thinking. Yeah. So that, like we talked about earlier, like Harold Landry doing what he's doing, I think there's. Uh, and, and I've done this running track, I need to do the updated version of it, but for a long time it was he, Darius Leonard, and Bradley Chubb were the top three guys in terms of sacks or uh, tackles for loss or like quarterback hits from that, la- from that 2018 class. And, you know, I give credit to John Robinson because, like, Harold Landry was the leading sacker in 2006, 2006- seven 2016 what his next to last year and he had all the athleticism and John Robinson didn't overthink it and he didn't go with an Ohio State guy because he had an Ohio State head coach now like he didn't he didn't do any of the dumb stuff he just said look I'm gonna take the best guy available and that's why he's such a good general manager like you look back at the last few drafts and it's very hard to see any misses in the high picks I think Kevin Dodd is the only one we talk about. It's like a guy we wish we could have back. But, I mean, he's the reason we have Jack Conklin, Derrick Henry, Kevin Byard, you know, Adoree Jackson, Corey Davis, uh, Jayon Brown, like all all those guys. And then you add these most recent classes with Jeffrey Simmons and Harold Landry and Rashawn Evans and A.J. Brown. Like, I mean, he just stacks good players on top of good players. So, yeah, like – Harold Landry, outstanding. He should be a pro bowler. But John Robinson really needs to get more credit for all the flack he took this past offseason for whatever reason. Probably because he didn't trade for Amari Cooper. But I I give him all the kudos.
1: Yeah, I, I, I said earlier in this pod that, that John Robinson is kind of just like the logical, common-sense guy. And I think in drafts, that's exactly who he's been. He hasn't reached for anyone really. He is drafted for need, but he's also drafted best player available when it comes to him. Um, and, and, you know, that, that's that's a really important asset to have um, in a GM. Uh, so now we're going to transition uh, to the Raiders game. But before that, uh, we're going to have a word from our sponsor. Uh, so now the the Titans are going to go up against the Oakland Raiders uh, in Oakland. Uh, usually going across the country is a tough game. and it, it, Well, it's just a tough situation overall. Oh, uh, you never want to fly cross country, um, and it seems like playing in Oakland just—it it seems like a nightmare, honestly. Uh, they play on that dirt field, you know—they have the dirt God. infield uh, in there, which is ridiculous. I think this is the last year that that that, that that's going to be a thing in the NFL. Uh, also, their fans are crazy, so it, it doesn't seem like a pleasant experience. <laughs> uh, but but teams haven't fared too bad in, in Oakland over the past couple of seasons. Uh, and I mean, we'll, we'll see how the Titans do in terms of, in terms of a matchup, you know, the Raiders, I don't know, they're not, they are not they are not good, right? They're, they're simply not good. Their, their point differential is minus 87 right now. That is, that is, I think top, that is the sixth worst in the entire league. Uh, somehow they're still six and six. They're still technically in the playoff hunt, but this isn't a, This isn't a good team. They have one of the worst defenses in the entire league, uh, and it's kind of crippling them because their car has never been a guy to really carry an offense.
0: Yeah, I mean, going back to their point differential, they're what, like 74? They're they're losing their last two games to the Jets and the Chiefs. They lost 74 to 12 combined. Yeah. (laughs) Like, yeah, just like an absolute, just like, oh, man, like – the closest of the two of those, they only... Lo- oh, sorry. No, I guess both of them they lost by thirty one points.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So that's that's not good. <laughs> I, I don't. Especially when one
1: of them is to the Jets.
0: Yeah, one of them just lost the to Jets. the Bengals. Yeah, an Adam GaSe led team. Uh, so yeah, like they're they're bad. Uh, Derek Carr, man, like
1: I don't. I don't know, like he's so weird because that's it. He's, that's, this, not, that's it. I don't know. That's yeah, the microcosm. It's,
0: it's like Uber efficient, but like I don't know, like there's no big he, place. There's no yeah, big play. Is place. he the new Alex Smith? Like is he the new guy yeah. who's like yeah. I'm just gonna kinda dink and dunk and I'm gonna get sacked every now and then, but not a lot. I'll turn the ball over a little bit, but not a lot and I'll score, but not a lot. So it's like it gets put all on the defense, and then when your defense allows 40 and 34 in back-to-back weeks, you can understand why that didn't work.
1: Yeah, I I, this is what – I've said this for years, and and I got killed for it at times because I was never a Derek Carr fan. But I was right. All he does is sit back there in the pocket, throw like five to seven-yard passes, and and hope that his players make a play. The thing is – Back in the day, a couple of years ago, he had Michael Crabtree and Amari Cooper, who were both nearly at the top of their games, and they just made things happen for you after the catch. Uh, Now, Derek Carr has Tyrell Williams, who I think is a good receiver, but he's not really an after-the-catch guy. He's a guy who gets open deep and uh, can get behind defenses. Uh, He's thrown a Hunter Renfro, who... I mean, he's he's a, a decent so Renfro's,
0: slot. Renfro's out, I think. I think he like broke ribs and punctured
1: a lung this past oh, game. Yeah, no, I know. But I, I'm just saying, like, like oh, in general, in, yeah, in the current current situation, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and he does have Darren Waller, who who has had a breakout season. Um, but he's not really a guy who does a lot for you after the catch. Um, but he does get open in the in the, in the intermediate areas. Um, but Derek Hart just isn't someone who he doesn't. You know, he doesn't scare you. He he has 16 touchdowns to eight interceptions. Uh, he's completing 70% of his passes. That's fine, but they're not going for a lot of gains, uh, and he contributes absolutely nothing on the ground. Uh, I, I don't know why. I feel like I feel like he ran a lot more earlier in his career. I don't know if maybe um that, that fractured fibula injury had something to do with it, but he, he only has 50 yards on 22 attempts on the ground, so he's kind of a guy that doesn't— he doesn't give you any upside, any ceiling to your offense. And really the only way that the, that the Raiders can, can put up a lot of points is if their running game is going. And it has in a lot of games, uh, their, their offensive line is pretty, pretty, pretty decent. And Josh Jacobs is, he's already established himself as like a top 10, top 12 running back. Uh, he has incredible lateral agility. He can juke anyone out of their, out of their jock strap and he could truck you, at, uh, if he, uh, If he intends on it but for some reason They don't use him as a receiver uh, What they should but but they don't Um so overall Their their offense They they have some pieces but they just Don't they don't kind of Strike fear into you Um because of their Quarterback and because of their kind of Conservative nature under John Gruden
0: Yeah I don't want to say it's a lot Like the Titans under Mariota or anything like that but Their script is, like, you need the quarterback to play a decent game, like, pretty conservative, don't turn the ball over, and then you need the running back to break out and, you know, have a big game. So, yeah, I don't know, like, I think Derek Carr was more mobile, but like like you said, maybe that's just something I'm thinking about now, but yeah, like... Something about that image of him, like, crying or whatever it was, like, when he got right. hit and banged up real bad. Like, something about that, like, in my head, like, that's just the turning point of any mobility he had. Like, it was just gone after that point. So, and and maybe that's just me conflating two different things, but I don't know, like, I'm not, I I don't want to completely, like, make this team sound like they're not a good team. I think the Raiders can be a good team. They've got interesting pieces, but... If you're gonna and I'll kind of roll this into another another thing we need to talk about, but if you're looking at the Raiders, you're worried about everything else but their wide receivers. Like you're worried about their tight ends, their running backs, which you know is great. But if you're a team looking to beat the Titans right now, you want to have scary wide receivers because, we don't know about the status of Adoree Jackson and LaShawn Sims, but the Titans just signed or claimed, I guess, Tremaine Brock from the Cardinals off waivers. So you can assume that one or both of them is not going to play this next week. So if if you're really going to put up a chance against it, that you're going to have a chance to get this team who's five and one in their last six games, seem to have everything to play for, blah, 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 blah you don't want to have to run your team through running backs and tight ends. You want to have, you know, you want to be able to attack the weakness of the Titans. And I just don't think that's how they're built right now. And even if they did have scary wide receivers, I'm not sure Derek Carr would be the one to really scare you with what he can do. So I guess I'm saying all that to say like, yeah, without Josh Jacobs having just a big game, I don't know what the Raiders are going to do on offense. And, you know, granted, some of that may be because I've seen them put up 12 points and, two games and you never really feel confident about a team like that doing anything on offense but I I mean they've got a good offensive line they've got a good tight end and a good running back but is that going to be enough I I just don't I don't know I don't think so
1: yeah I I mean Darren Waller was was actually a a receiver in college uh, and he's a converted uh, converted receiver to tight end Uh, so they do split him out wide uh, pretty often but but he's he's slow in terms of like relatively to 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 normal wide receivers so he's not really someone that that, that could beat you uh one on one with cornerbacks on the outside uh and then you kind of take a look with Renfro out uh there are other guys Erzej Jones who is probably the most pedestrian receiver in the NFL uh <laughs> Keelan Doss who uh, Keelan Doss who's I, I mean I don't know. I don't know anything about him, to be to be honest with you. Uh, Marcel Aitman is, is really tall. He's big, but he's not very quick. You know, he can't really beat you in many ways. Uh, and, and then the last receiver on their on the roster, who actually just got promoted last week, is Rico Gafford, who Titans fans might know because he was on our practice squad as a cornerback uh last year <laughs> so it, he's really fast though I'll give him that he he cut a he cut a long touchdown in preseason so I'll give him that but it's just not a a I don't know a supporting cast offensive supporting cast conducive to success uh and that's why they've scored nine and three points in, in, in the last two games uh against two defenses the Jets and the Chiefs who honestly uh, they're not world beaters uh, they're, they're okay but well, not the Jets. The Jets have one of the worst pass defenses in the yeah, league. So.
0: They're, they're both not very... Okay, let me ask you this. Yeah. If I told you that the plan was going to be to have Kevin Byard watch Josh Jacobs for most of the game, mm-hmm. and like if he runs it, come into the box. If if he goes out for a route, cover him. And then Jayon Brown was going to cover Darren Waller for most of the game. How would you feel about that? I mean, would you think that effectively shuts down those two guys, or do you think that they would win those matchups?
1: I think... Yeah, I, I think they're interchangeable also because I think Bayard could cover Waller pretty much with ease. I mean, he's one of the better cu- cover safeties in the league. Um, and, and Jayon against Josh Jacobs would be would be a good matchup. Is it and, and Rashawn Evans is is he injured? No, no, no. I think he's No, injured. he's he's healthy, right? Okay, yeah. So I, I honestly I feel very comfortable with our linebackers against pretty much any running game. Um, and Rashawn Evans against Josh Jacobs is quite the quite the matchup. Uh, they're former former teammates I think at, at Alabama. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think they played together. So, that's that's definitely something to to keep your eye on. Uh that that should be a fun one uh hitting sure, the I'm sure I'm sure
0: Evans saw a ton of Jacobs in practice because yeah. Jacobs got like three carries, right? For like for like his whole career right. like Alabama just refused to run him. So, like I'm sure he was, you know, getting a lot of practice touches mm-hmm. and a lot of like that, so I'm sure Rashawn Evans has seen him a lot as a scout team guy or as somebody he worked against. So it'll be interesting if any of that comes up. And I, I feel confident that they'll be switching jerseys or something at the end of the game. But that that is kind of an interesting storyline is how many Alabama and like playoff – and this is kind of a tangent, but Mike Mayock essentially decided that he was going to come over and take like guys who were in big games and who won a lot in college – and he drafted Cleland Farrell and oh, Josh Jacobs oh. and uh, Abram or Jonathan Abram, who he's out. But like, I, I don't, I don't know if I agree with that. I don't know if I don't, it seems to have not worked with Farrell who is the higher rated prospect. And it seems to have worked with Jacobs who is the not as high rated prospect. So I, I don't know how I feel about that, but it is interesting to see because I, I'm sure he did a bunch of due diligence and, Work on Rashawn Evans, I think, even to the point where he might have been the one guy who predicted that the Titans were going to draft Rashawn Evans uh, back before he took the GM job. But that, that'll that be really interesting because I'm 100% sure that he's very familiar with him. And I, I don't think that he puts any contribution in the game day plans. But with how many, like, not. <sighs> not big name i guess but like with how many like alabama players and winners quote unquote that the titans have it seems like a team that you know i don't know that my mayock would be super interested in the talent but if you told me down the road that there were trades to be made between these two teams i could see a bunch of players that could be moved
1: yeah i, I wouldn't be surprised at all and um just to talk about those draft picks uh, a little Mr. jacobs is actually he, he's really good i i'm I'm, I'm a little bit surprised about how good he's been and that looks like a good draft pick. Jonathan Abram was playing really well before it went down. Uh, so, so we'll see how that works out. It looks like it might. Uh, when, when they drafted Cleland Farrell at four I I actually laughed out loud. It was um, insane. not it's just that like you you're not if you're drafting number four overall, you don't draft a guy like Cleland Farrell because his upside is capped. Like, every every scouting report would probably tell you the same thing. He will probably be a good, consistent player, uh, Ed Rusher, a la maybe Derek Morgan. But you're not drafting Derek Morgan fourth overall. And and pretty much everyone felt the same way. And, man, that's – I don't know. I haven't heard his name all, all year. Maybe he's having a good season. He's maybe. Not. He's no, not, he's right? Not. Okay, yeah. I didn't think but so. Especially no, when, not when you defenses. look at
0: Josh Allen,
1: like, who was supposed <laughs> right. to be – like oh my, why didn't they draft Josh Allen?
0: Well, remember it was like they're gonna walk away with either Josh Allen or Quinnen Williams. It's like there's no way one of those two is not a Raider because, you know, mm-hmm. Quinnen Williams yeah. made a ton of sense, Alabama guy, like winner, all that stuff. They already had defensive tackles, but you don't pass up on that kind of talent. And then Josh Allen was like, you you need pass rushers, you need defensive ends, blah blah blah. But I guess because he went to Kentucky and didn't go to yeah. you know a team that made the playoffs, Mayock just kind of wrote him off the list, and that's why you got a guy with three and a half sacks who's probably going to be a seven sack guy his whole like at the peak of his career. That's why you got him at four. So
1: that's, I don't know. That's bad process, but, uh, but I kind of like that's, Mayock, so I I want to yeah, want to give him like, the benefit of the doubt
0: that's that's where I am but you know like we talked about earlier like that's what John Robinson doesn't do like he uh-huh. doesn't say like the tape tells me this and the athletic testing tells me this but I I don't know I'm just gonna go against the group thing and do this it's like no like just draft the best player like just draft a Jack Conklin who turns out to be better than Decker or Tunsell or any of those even we can argue Tunsil, but I think he's better than Tunsil. but like because he fits right tackle better like don't don't try to outsmart everybody, just use common sense.
1: Yeah, so um let's talk a little bit about their defense. I guess I don't it's man, I'm I'm going I, through it right now. So yeah,
0: they've got one guy on defense who matters as far as I'm concerned and that's Crosby the I
1: was about to say is it Max yeah. Crosby? That's
0: the yeah, only guy who's well. Yeah, he he looks like a stud. like I I I'll, and I really wanted the Titans to draft him. Yeah, I did, But, too, like, yeah. I mean, I think it was, like, the third round or something. Like, I don't think I had that high of a grade on him, but...
1: Fourth round, I mean, you drafted
0: him, yeah. Yeah, he, like... He was fun to watch. He's, like, got this really, like, long-limbed, kind of leaner frame. But he was a good pass rusher, and that's exactly what he is now. Yeah. Like, he's kind of the opposite of what Khalil and Farrell is. Like, mm-hmm. and and one of them... He's drafted you know, a
1: better edge in the yeah, fourth round this, than fourth overall.
0: <laughs> yeah, significantly better edge several rounds later. So... I mean, I guess it all works out in the end. Like, they got their really good edge, and they got a really good running back or whatever, just not how they wanted him to come out. But, yeah, like, he's the guy that scares me the most, and he's the guy I'm most interested in watching. Like, I hope the Titans win 40-0, to but, like, outside of that, like, I'm really looking forward to watching LaWan and Conklin take on Crosby. So, that, that'll be very interesting. Other than that, I don't...
1: This is... I mean, this team is the biggest smorgasbord of, like, cast-offs, NFL cast-offs I've ever seen in my life. This defense, at least. They have Curtis Riley, former Titan, uh, former Giants. Will Compton, former everything, former Titan as oh, yeah, well. Boy. yeah, Will Compton's on this team. Um, Preston Brown has been in it in some places, too. Jonathan Hankins, Dion Jordan. I mean... They also oh, have. Yeah, they have Deion Jordan. I forgot about that. Uh, yeah, th- their top two safeties are on IR: Carl Joseph and Jonathan Abram. Their starting middle linebacker uh, is suspended for the season, Vontae's Burford, because he's a terrible human being. Correct. And it is this is this defense is, is horrendous. If if the Titans don't put up thirty plus points, yeah, I shut it down because because well, they really should.
0: It's so weird because like they've got really good defensive tackles like. P.J. Hall, Maurice Hurst, and uh, Hankins, like, those are good defensive – that's a really good three-man defensive tackle rotation. Like, if you want to run three-man defensive lines with two edges, like, I can see that working out really well for you. But, like, if you get past that, like – and, of course, Will Compton, like, respect to the boy. But, like, if you get past the first line of that defense, like, and you're Derrick Henry, you've got to assume you're scoring, right? Like – There's nobody on that second level that you're like, oh, that guy's going to take me down.
1: Well, I think that's why their run defense has actually not been horrible for the duration of the season, and it's probably because those defensive tackles are are solid. Um, But then you take a look around, you look at the secondary, and you're like, okay, well, why are we going to run the ball? We might as well just throw it all over you because you can't stop it.
0: Yeah, once again— why i'm glad we have uh Hill instead of arthur smith because arthur <laughs> smith would attack your strengths and <laughs> ignore your weaknesses hp B- dive baby let's yeah, go yeah we would run trap and and halfback dive and iso a 100 times <laughs> if it was up to him but so that'll be good so i mean i guess if we're like let's just like walk through this if we're gonna say what the like ideal game plan for this game is it's a bunch of those stretch outside runs basically try to hem those defensive tackles in with cut blocks and reach them when you can, and then try to work to the second level. And then if they over pursue, you change that and you cut up field and you let Henry do that. And then off of that, you run some bootleg and stuff like that. That's the, and that's the strategy they've gone with the past two weeks, but that strategy seems to work. So uh, I don't know. Like, it seems like they're not going to have anything that forces the Titans to change what they're doing.
1: It's interesting you bring that up because I was actually thinking about this. For some reason, I was I was in my bed last night and I was thinking about this and I was like, "Dude, you know what my favorite play in the NFL is just a stretch run. It is just beautiful sometimes when it's blocked perfectly and you get that running back to the outside of the outside of the tackles. Oh my God, it's beautiful sometimes, and especially when Derrick Henry's running it." It is. It's a work of art, and I do think that's how you would attack this team.
0: Well, there's been plays uh, this year where they've had uh, uh, for for whatever reason the Titans are just better running behind Conklin. Like maybe Mm -hmm. that's just on inside plays, and maybe it's just when I'm like really focused on it. Like it seems like he's always winning his matchup, but part of it's because he's always winning his matchup.
1: He's he's very athletic.
0: Yeah, like he like for. For being as like wide built as he is, he's very athletic, and like he, he looks like the guy that won the All Pro in his rookie year. Like it's like if you get if he gets your hand his hands on you, like it's done. Like it's he's not letting go, and nor should he because he's got you. Like there's nothing you can do about it. So that's really fun. But what that really sets up well for is when the Titans run that like outside zone left and they run it behind Lawan and everybody tries to get out in front of the because they knows he's too, ath- they know he's too athletic to like beat heads up. If he can do, if they can do that, it opens this big cutback lane that Conklin has been basically sealing off to where it's like, okay, if y'all all over pursue, it leaves me this huge cutback lane and Conklin and Nate Davis, like quietly open the B gap wide open. And, there's going to be play – maybe not this game, but there's going to be a play where he cuts that back and it's just like wide. I mean like he's going to run for like a 70-yard touchdown. And like, he's already made some plays off of that before. Mm-hmm. But like against the Colts, like – maybe it's just recency bias, but it seemed like the left side could do no wrong with Saffold and Lawan and – that makes me think that people are gonna start trying to beat that more and try to you know cheat over to that side to make sure they don't get beaten like Colts did, and it's only gonna bite them when they start cutting back against that towards uh, Conklin's side. So I don't know. Like I, it's it's nice that the run game's hitting like it is, and to still feel like there's something in their back pocket where
1: they have big plays that they're not hitting yet. Yeah, I, I think that's enough uh, talk about the Raiders. They don't. They don't deserve. <laughs> they don't deserve more. Yeah, than that.
0: that's, that's probably. We probably covered everything we need to cover, and we know that when we play them, that they're going to put up 24 on us, and we're going to oh, have to beat them 31 God. to 24 because that's what the Titans do.
1: Dude, if we lose this game, just God. But we say that every week, so uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, now, let's get to the most important uh, segment uh, the Stop the Nonsense segment. Will, if if you will. Yeah,
0: so uh, I'm going to leave this guy nameless because I think he's, I'm sure he's a troll and that's why he's doing it. But uh, there was an article we wrote over at Titan Sized covering, like, you know, what we learned from the game this past week and. Uh, just that kind of stuff, like, and this guy just lost his mind. Like, you know, we were like, it, the there was points like, you know, Khalif Raymond can be a big play threat if used correctly, blah, blah, blah. And his response was, bro, are you serious? I need your job. Raymond, fluke. He caught one ball. OMG, seriously, dude. LMAO, is 11 better than 84? Who knows? With this offense and no time to pass, who can tell? Yeah, Davis dropped a drive killer, but Tannehill, spelled wrong, only completed, what, 15 or 16? Not even saying how many passes were thrown total. The offensive line sucks. Duh. 50 sacks, really? Like, it's it's all, the punctuation is insane, first of all. (laughs) And then, and this goes on, like, this is one of those where it's like, click to see more. Like, that's how long the comment is. First of all... Understand that I was as big of a Mariota supporter as anybody. Like, I think Matias was too. Like, we we liked him. That's not, that's not what this is about. Like, but these people who skew so far the other way that they've, like, been completely soured on the franchise as a whole or that anything the franchise does right or anything positive you point out about them is only because they're only trying now is such a weird – Space to be in like it, this idea that the Titans were sabotaging Mariota doesn't make sense because if they were, they would all be fired anyway because they're intentionally losing games and that benefits them in no way at all. And second of all, like it, I, I just don't understand. It's like if a guy catches so Raymond caught what like a forty-yard touchdown pass to basically seal the win against the Colts, like and that's after catching another, like, 40-plus yard pass against the Chiefs, I think, like, you're allowed to be excited and say, okay, that guy does seem like a big play threat when, for years, we would see one Taewon Taylor catch of over 30 yards in a season, and we'd be like, oh, he's almost going to break out. Like, don't just, – just look at the things in front of you and – it's okay to be positive when your team is on this five and one streak and the offense is, I think number two in the NFL is that since Tannehill started uh, in points per game. Like I, I don't know, like the people that are that negative and like anything positive, you say they immediately put down and they just want to like bask in like the potential of an eight and eight season or something at this point. I don't know, man. Like I just, we cannot relate.
1: Yeah, I mean, there was there was a point this season after Mariota got benched, um, and honestly, even when we when we lost to the Panthers, got smoked by the Panthers, I was just like, dude, I, I'm so sick of this franchise, whatever. But like, here I am, back. I, I'm in the playoff. I'm in the playoff. We're in the playoff, and I'm pumped. Just I mean, because I'm a Titans fan, I want it, us to win, man. It was more like,
0: like, I mean, we we all had like that. I don't know if it's like withdrawal. I don't know what we'd call it. It's
1: depressing. Yeah, it was just depressing. Yeah,
0: yeah, it was so depressing being two and four, like because it was so many like okay, we beat the Browns, then we lost to the Colts. It's like, oh that sucks. Then we beat the Falcons. It's like, all right, two and one. Or no no no. Then uh then we lost to the Jaguars. Sorry. So it's like all right, one and two, like we need this game versus the Falcons. Win versus the Falcons. Mariota throws three touchdowns in the first half and they pull off. Then it was like all right, against the Bills, they're a tough defense. We lost a tight game, fourteen to seven. That sucks. And then you you're like, okay, this Broncos game, like this is going to be it. Like we're going to get back to five hundred, and then we're going to like really settle in. And then you get shut out, and, <laughs> and you know, your quarterback gets benched. And Tannehill looked terrible. Like yeah, he it, for, like yeah. an interception, and like just like baffling. And so you're like, oh man, this like we're going to win two games all year. And we still won't be able to get the number one pick because the Bengals and Dolphins at the time, like we're like, they're not going to win more than two games. Like, uh, and so you get so depressed and then 10, Hill wins a game and everybody's like, Oh, that was a fluke. And then he wins another game. And it's like, okay, but that was also a fluke. And then he loses one. And everybody's like, yeah, that's right. It sucks to be a Titans fan. Everything is bad. And then he wins the next three and people are still like, yeah, it sucks to be. I'm like, no man. Like they're doing things like, AJ Brown looks great. Derrick Henry looks great. It's like it's not like we're act- like they're accidentally dropping the ball in the end zone and we're picking it up for touchdowns. Like we're scoring a lot of points at a high clip. Like be excited. It's okay.
1: Yeah, yeah. Take t- take the hate out of your heart. It's it's okay. Just enjoy enjoy the moment. So my stop the nonsense is courtesy of Will because I seemingly can never find anything. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so he pointed me to this. To, to this Ian Rappaport report uh, that the Texans are not planning to hire a general manager for the 2020 season uh, because they're uh, they're pursuing they, they were pursuing Nick Casario, uh, the Patriots top executive uh, in the offseason. And I, I don't remember what happened. Did he say no to them? He probably said no to them. Uh, or like Bill Belichick didn't. No, you know. Yeah.
0: Bill Belichick was like, y'all didn't ask me, and I'm going to yeah. essentially like sue y'all for, for picks. Yeah.
1: yeah. And uh, I don't know if you saw. Did you see the handshake between Belichick and Bill O'Brien no. uh, on Sunday night? Yeah. No. Bill, Bill Belichick was, gonna, was walking right past him, and then oh, Bill, Bill O'Brien at the end was like, hey, hey, hey. And then they this actually is... shook hands, but it was clear Belichick didn't even want to see him. God, <laughs> so literally. that was funny. Yeah, so this is this this is just nonsense all in and of itself. So uh, essentially, Bill O'Brien is going to continue to have final say over everything and is pretty much just going to keep being the acting GM. Uh, and he will continue to be able to pull off trades, like trading a third round pick for Duke Johnson, who doesn't get playing time because they signed Carlos Hyde out of nowhere uh or like giving up Jadavian Clowney for a third round pick and Barquevious Mingo and some other linebacker I've never heard of it's this guy that guy is first of all I don't think he's that good of a coach I think Deshaun Watson and DeAndre Hopkins have pretty much and his defensive coordinator who has somehow like Made them a respectable defense. Uh, I think they've kind of carried Bill O'Brien over the past couple of seasons, and 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 definitely this season as well. Deshaun Watson has, has been playing very well. Um, he just has no credibility as a GM. I don't. I I don't know. Can you name a single good move that he's made? His draft picks this no. year were, were horrendous. Yeah, like they like they're bad. Like oh, the Tunsil trade. Sorry, I completely forgot. Well, like even the that's, Tunsil that's trade, one. that's his best one. Well, but like but he we still talked gave
0: up about, first round picks. yeah, we we've talked about this before. Like they gave up two first-round picks and a second-round pick, right, to get Tunsil and also Kenny Stills. Like, but the whole thing was they did that, and they still don't have a deal for Tunsil. So at the end of the season, if Tunsil feels like it's a bad situation and he doesn't like the way it's going, he can just walk. Like he's got he's a free agent after this year still. So if he wants to just be like, all right, well, deuces, I'm gone. And they franchise tag him. He can just not play like he's under no contract to play with them beyond the season, even though in 2021, they don't have a first round pick no matter what happens. And in 2020, they don't have a first round pick no matter what happens. So, I mean, that's that's a good deal if Tunsell turns into a Hall of Fame left tackle, which is not how he's played this year, but. Other than that, like, unless he signs a deal and ends up being really good for you for the next five years, it's a bad deal. Like, and and they basically traded – when you look at how it broke down, they traded Clowney for uh, Gary and Conley because they ended up, like, swapping that third-round pick for Gary and Conley. And I didn't think Gary and Conley was going to get traded for anything higher than, like, a fifth-round pick. Like, the Raiders have been publicly trying to trade him for a while, and, I mean, I – They absolutely got robbed there, but I don't know. Like, I think part of it is they've basically just backed themselves into corner. Trade a third for Gary and Conley? Yeah, yeah. Like,
1: imagine if somebody didn't even know that.
0: Like, imagine if somebody would have told you before the season that the Raiders were going to trade Gary and Conley for Jadavian (laughs) Clown. Right, right. Like, you would have thought you would have lost your mind, and like that—that's exactly what the—I mean—that's exactly what the Texans did. So. I, like, I don't know. He, everything he's done is bad. Uh, he's lost in draft capital for the next two years, and they've they've still got to pay their franchise, quote-unquote, left tackle, their franchise quarterback, and they're going to have to give Hopkins a new deal soon anyway just because that's how those things work. Like, luckily, they don't have that much talent that they have to worry about paying anywhere else on the roster, but I, I, I don't know, man. Like, well,
1: they're going to give J.J. Watt a uh... – a retirement contract, probably. Yeah, the Dirk Nowitzki contract.
0: Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, like, I guess, like, he's apparently coming out of, like, uh, coming back from injured reserve or whatever, like, as soon as he can, even though he tore a pack, like...
1: No, yeah, okay. great great idea. Great yeah, idea. like, yeah. sure,
0: like, why why wouldn't you? I mean, it's <laughs> not like that can do any long-term damage or anything like that, but I, I just don't understand. Like, he was okay before he went out, but... I don't know. Like, this team seems like they're all in on this year. And even this year, they're only one game ahead of the Titans, right? Like, they could, if they don't take care of business versus the Titans both times, they could lose the AFC South. And this is after they spent, you know, three or two first-round picks and gave up their, you know, young, talented edge rusher for basically nothing. So... I think it's, I mean, and maybe this is more just my Titans bias reading into it, but if I was a general manager candidate, I wouldn't touch the Texans because you're going to be judged off of what you do for that team going forward and how much better they are once they hire you. But if they're going all in on somebody or on this season right now, you know, do you really think the future is going to be that much better for you without any first round picks and without a second round pick? Like, I just don't see it.
1: Yeah, especially with a power hungry. A guy head coach. I don't know. I wouldn't yeah. be, wouldn't be my ideal setup. Yeah. Uh, so that'll do it for this episode. Honestly, I think we did a pretty good job. It didn't go off the rails completely, uh, and uh, we did pretty well overall. So uh, thank you guys for tuning in. Luke will probably be be back next week unless his sickness is is worse than anticipated. We hope not. Uh, thanks for listening in, and uh, see you guys next week.